Babita Diukaran was the Chief Director of Financial Accounting in the Gauteng Department of Health. On the morning of the 23rd of August 2021, she died in a hail of bullets in front of her home. Assassinated for exposing corruption of more than 1 billion rand at Tembisa Hospital. Corruption that people higher up in Gauteng Provincial Health was apparently well aware of. I'm Ilse Saltzvedel and my guest in this episode of Outer Insights is Jeff Wicks. And we dedicate this episode to Babita's family. Outer Insights, where the conversation never stops. So tune in and let's dive in together. My guest today in Outer Insights is Jeff Wicks. He is one of the journalists who unpacked massive corruption at the Tembisa Hospital. And it's, it's of course, this hospital that was one of the reasons, or probably the main reason, that Babita Diokaran was assassinated in August 2021. Jeff, welcome Thank you for making the time to speak to me in Outer Insights. Thank you for having me. It's an important story, so I'm happy to do so. We have learned that Babita Diokaran, in her role as Chief Director for Financial Accounting, uncovered some stuff, very, very serious allegations about corruption in the Gauteng Health Department. She was assassinated. People were arrested, brought to court, Big hoo-ha was made about that, but to this day, not much has happened in terms of uncovering all of the corruption. But your team at News24 did so in a spectacular way. Somebody said the other day on Twitter that you are basically the detective branch um, of uh, the SAPS. So please tell us a bit, what prompted you to do this investigation how much time have you put into this? How many emails? I saw at some stage more than 60,000 emails were uh, investigated. So just give us a sort of a broad overview of the why and the how. I think in order to answer your question, we need to dial it back a bit. And, you know, we, we go back to that day on August 23, 2021, when Babita was assassinated outside of her home. And I, I think all of us or, or many journalists at that stage would have heard about a murder in the south of Johannesburg. But, you know, um, violent crime has become so endemic within the South African context that we can't really pay much attention to each individual case. But we soon realized that given the role that she occupied at the Department of Health, that her um, assassination was important. And it was important for us to go further and deeply analyze all of um, the minutiae around her killing. We know that she was a well-known and well-respected whistleblower within her department. She'd been a key witness for the SIU for more than a decade. And we began the story by looking at the hitmen who were arrested by police several days after um, her assassination. With a bit of digging, we, we quickly realized that all of these men had links to the minibus taxi industry, and they all actually came from the same valley in KwaZulu-Natal. But the question remained, who would have a motive to eliminate her? Because as often happens, the police are quick to arrest the alleged trigger men, but the person who actually orders the assassination or the paymaster behind the hit often remains in the wind as it has in this case. And obviously we felt it needed further scrutiny. So we've worked on the story for 
um, nearly a year at this point. And, and key for us was trying to understand what she had found in the days or weeks before her murder. And we were very lucky to gain access to 60,000 internal emails from the Gauteng Department of Health, as well as the contents of her cell phone. And we found out that three weeks before she was assassinated, she'd raised red flags over the spending at Tembisa Hospital. She had reported this to seniors at the Gauteng Department of Health and said this is anomalous spending in that it far outweighed other hospitals which are far larger than Tembisa. Um, she reported this to her boss, uh, now suspended CFO Lorato Maggio, and asked for a stop to payments and an urgent investigation. And before any of that could be actioned, she was gunned down outside her home. So we say that she actually stumbled onto the first shades of an extraction network, which and, and we've been able to connect the dots um, using her findings as a basis. Okay, the obvious question is, Corruption to the value of exactly how much have you so far uncovered? We know it's not all of it, but you've made some significant findings. So, you know, I think what's key, key in this is that the report that she filed three weeks before her death set out 850 million rands worth of transactions that she felt needed further investigation. And she also attached a list of 217 suppliers to the department who she felt may be illegitimate. And what we did was basically follow the money, try to understand exactly who was behind these companies and who stood to benefit. And it was um, a revelation quite early on that the list of companies may be very long, but in terms of who controls them, that list is much shorter. And we found clusters or groupings of, of companies, um, which in essence are all controlled by singular individuals. And the SIU went and conducted a preliminary investigation based on our stories. They did their own digging because, of course, they have better access to documentation because of their, their legal powers. And they said that there are uh, payments in the amount of at least one billion rand that need investigation. And in their report, they actually said that that was the tip of the iceberg. So now we're talking about over a billion rand in transactions from one hospital in one province. How many state hospitals in Gauteng? How many hospitals could potentially be involved in this scheme? Well, we know from the work that we've done looking into the companies which scored these contracts is that they weren't only being paid by Tembisa. We've identified at least five other facilities in Gauteng that were steering contracts to these companies. And when I say companies, it's, it's perhaps a misnomer because in some cases, these entities existed only on paper. And they used fake addresses to to register at the at the CIPC, and it, it was fairly easy for us to establish this because one of the first tests we conducted on the legitimacy of these entities was to drive to their registered business addresses, and we were surprised to find that some used uh, patches of vacant felt, others used a, a Dutch reform church, and others used dilapidated buildings. So you know, it's it's fair to say that that this is a a, a network of shell corporations that was formed with the singular purpose of extracting funds, and they were very effective in doing so. Could you establish where all this money went to? Was it only um, a handful of individuals that scored, or could you identify political links? 
So the first political player we identified in this investigation is the ANC's Ekoleni Treasurer General, um, Selo Sokoko. Now, he had three companies which were red flagged by the Ukraine. And initially, we identified just over 2.3 million rands worth of payments that he was due. But as we started delving further, that number rose to 15 million rand and has since risen to 100 million rand. And he's just one actor in this saga. Another person with very deep political connections is Hangwani Morgan Maumela, and he had a network of 12 companies between him and his cousin, who have built the Department of Health just under 400 million rand in three years. And his political links stretch right into the union buildings because he is nephew to President Cyril Ramaphosa from a previous marriage. And he was also neighbor to uh, former principal political advisor, Bajani Chauke. So I know that as we continue to investigate the story, we will find further links. But those are just two examples of very connected political players who went laughing all the way to the bank. Any links to the previous Minister of Health, who uh, was also exposed uh, by another investigative journalist for his links to Digital Vibes? So, um, uh, former Minister William Kizé's name has come up in this case, and it's it's worthwhile explaining how. So, during the bail proceedings of the alleged trigger men, one of them, in a disputed confession, named William Kizé as the paymaster. Um, the man who essentially ordered the hit on Babita Diokran. Now, I think that needs to be viewed for what it is with a pinch of salt because this man insists that his admissions were extracted under torture and it's yet to be tested in court. But beyond that singular document, which is disputed, we've been able to find no links to former Minister Mkise. Um, that said, you know, there is a lot more work to be done on this list that we have. And you have shared your information with the SIU, as you pointed out. They're busy with their own investigations. What's the update? Uh, can the public expect something, some movement on this in the near future? So w when it comes to the SIU, they used our stories as a basis to conduct their own investigation. We we don't share information with, with arms of the state. We're merely journalists and, and we're happy to show people where to look. And we say that because all of the information needed to conduct this investigation sits safely on Gauteng Department of Health email servers and they need only look there if there's a will to do so. In terms of their process, as far as we understand, the SIU has applied for a proclamation and now starts a, a, a legislative process, which involves that proposal being sent to the Department of Justice. And once it's been rubber stamped, it needs to go to the desk of the president. And when we first uncovered Cyril Ramaphosa's links to Maumela, we asked um, the presidency pointedly whether or not they would authorize this um, this investigation of the SIU and, and, and they said without hesitation if, if the merits allow it, they will. That's just one investigation that's been set in motion by our reporting. On the other hand, we've got a Hawks investigation and we did see some movement two weeks ago when um, the Hawks um, team raided three premises linked to Selo Sokoko and seized documents and cell phones and laptops as part of their probe. So can I ask you, are you hopeful that this will lead to anything? I have to temper my expectations. And I say that because the work of the SIU is promising. 
albeit slow paced. However, on the other end of the spectrum, we have the police investigation. And I, and I think there's enough background and basis to say that the two investigations being advanced by the police have been failures. In, in respect of the murder, we have measured success in terms of the arrest of the alleged trigger men, but that happened more than 600 days ago. The, the person who ordered this hit on Babita Diokaran remains free. And it's not as if these hitmen spontaneously woke up on that morning, came together and just decided to kill a person. So the common sense test fails there. There has to be someone who was pulling the strings in that matter. And it seems like the police have no will or drive to investigate this case further. And they seem content with the fact that they've arrested the alleged hitmen. When it comes to the corruption investigation, which is a separate docket, you know, they raided Selo Sikoko two weeks ago, but this investigation was initiated in September last year, and it was set in motion by our reporting, which happened, you know, shortly after Babita was assassinated in 2021. It begs the question why the police are moving so slowly and allowing um, the destruction of evidence or putting daylight between interconnected parties in this matter to happen whilst they move at a glacial pace. You've touched on a few things that really angers me um, as an activist and as a taxpayer and as a South African. We've seen um, no real accountability for serious, serious corruption. We've seen a clear breaking of procurement processes. Uh, people are not being checked out. I mean, if you could find that an empty piece of land is being used as somebody's office, it leaves a lot to be questioned when it comes to something like a procurement process. You've touched on the lack of political will, the, the lack of crime intelligence. So what angered your team the most about uncovering what you've uncovered? Well, I, I think there's several things that have, that have, that have gotten our necks up. In, in particular... It's, it's of great concern that all of the procurement prescripts and legislation that governs it were so easily circumvented. And, and that's a, the, Babita's case is really a case in point in that if the entire system is captured from the hospital staff to the staff at the provincial head office, you know, it's very easy to circumvent these prescripts and ensure that money is sent where you want it to go. And secondly, it takes a special kind of psychopath to steal from a hospital. And this is a hospital that is chronically understaffed and overwhelmed by high patient numbers. And it's distressing to note that, you know, Im imagine what good could be done for the public of South Africa if every rand reached its intended destination. Instead of being diverted to spurious middlemen or to people who don't actually deliver any goods at all, and they just simply bank millions and millions of rands. And that money meant to care for the sick and dying ends up fueling your lifestyle of international trips and Louis Vuitton clothes. I wanted to ask you, what have they done with this money? Could you see anything that they've done that one could at least say, okay, there's a little bit of good use of stolen money? Or was this simply wasted on parties and trips? 
Well, I think let's consider the case of Hangwani Morgan Marmela. We were able to establish that in the same time period that he was billing Tembisa Hospital in the Gauteng Department of Health, he amassed a property portfolio worth 310 million rand. And I'm talking about two properties in Zimbali, in, in Durban, uh, properties in Camps Bay with 75 million rand, another property in Bantry Bay. So, you know, we, we end up seeing what we often do. Malfeasance or alleged malfeasance in this case, going towards fueling the lifestyles of these tenderpreneurs. You guys have produced a lot of uh, written content on this, but there's now a documentary. What can the public expect to see in that? Well, you know, a lot of the work that we've done in this project has, has been quite clinical. We've, we've looked at company searches, um, really uh, paper research and trying to follow the money. And, and what the documentary does is it, it personalizes Babita Diokran because people often think of corruption as, as a victimless crime. There's, there's no tangible victim. But in this matter, Babita Diokran died because she knew too much. And what we wanted to achieve by the documentary is to show people that she was a person. You know, she is survived by her family. And, and because of greed and corruption, her, her teenage daughter now grows up without a mother. And, and for me, at least, that was too much to abide. That, and we also wanted to highlight the plight of whistleblowers, because it goes without saying that whistleblowers are not afforded the protection in this country that they should be. Um, and Babita Diokaran's case is an example of that. She put her hand up and said, you know, something is amiss at Tembisa Hospital. We need to stop these payments. And instead of being protected, she was left alone and she died alone. And... In the wake of her killing, leaders at the Gauteng Department of Health who knew what was going on tried to cover up her findings. And had it not been for our reportage, they would have succeeded. And we're very pleased that at least this matter is now getting some of the scrutiny it deserves from the SIU and other arms of law enforcement. Well, from our side, we want to congratulate and thank you for just keeping on, keeping on to expose all of this. Who are all the members involved in this uh, investigation, the members of your team? So this, um, this has been a team project. I, I'm the lead reporter on this project, but News24's entire investigations team has been working towards it and uh, will continue to do so. Jeff, the the impact of somebody's assassination, somebody like Bebito, who was a fearless woman, and we've heard of her work um, over, like you said, over the last decade. What does it do to other whistleblowers when something like this happens? Well, in my mind, it will no doubt have a chilling effect um, on people's willingness to take risks on board that include the, the risk of death in order to do the right thing. And, and it's something that, you know, we'll never be able to accurately measure. We'll never be able to find out how many people said nothing when they knew of wrongdoing. And, you know, this assassination and assassination of someone like Clutter Murray and the fact that there are no high level arrests as a result of this just emboldens these people. You know, I have no doubt that um, whoever ordered the assassination of Babita Diorokran feels like they've gotten away with it. And to a certain extent, they have. Because, you know, we sit 600 days after she was assassinated and there's still no further arrests in, in her murder case. We don't even know if they're still investigating it. So that's problematic. And 
What needs to change now is whistleblower protection legislation in South Africa. We have to do more to protect these people because if we don't, you know, we're on a, on a collision course with mafia state territory. I wanted to know, do you think we are there yet or are we just heading for it very fast? I'm, I'm, I'm of, the, of the school of thought that, that we're already there. You know, we every week hear of a new assassination and it's, it's no longer the fear of gangsters and criminals. It's government officials, uh, auditors, investigators, policemen. You know, and 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 if these if these murders go unanswered, we we we're on the highway to hell. We've also seen terrible things happen at Raima Musa Hospital. We've seen that a whistleblower there, Dr. Tim De Meyer, who just uh, tried every which way to get help for his patients, how he was hung out to dry, suspended, and then after a huge outcry by civil society, was reinstated in his job. But still, it seems that the commission or, or the committee that did the investigations in there has, has come. They've made the announcements. They shared their findings with the public. But it seems that the Gauteng Department of Health is untouchable. Has anybody fallen on their sword? Has anybody been reprimanded, fired, properly investigated, prosecuted for everything that you guys have uncovered in the last year? and that the public is well aware of. So the only action on the part of the Gauteng Department of Health so far has been to place on precautionary suspension Dr. Ashley Mtunzi, who was the CEO of Tembisa Hospital at the time of the scandal, as well as um, Chief Financial Officer Lorato Maggio, who was technically Babita Diokaran's boss. Um, they've been on paid suspension since August last year. And the first sitting of their disciplinary process took place in February, and it's expected back in the months to come. But again, we've yet to find any tangible outcomes because the process is not concluded. And this is another process that just seems to be happening at a glacial pace. Do you think there's enough transparency when it comes to these uh, handlings of employees paid without taxes? That's one part of my question. And the other part is, is there really any accountability from somebody like the Premier of Gauteng? And I'm not just talking about the current one, but also previous Premiers. We've also had the Life Isidimeni scandal, also a Gauteng Health Department scandal. The scandals facing the Gauteng Department of Health are many, you know, and, and I think this one with Babita Diokran is, is just the latest one. But my experience in dealing with the department is that they have taken active steps to protect these tender mafias by refusing to divulge information. And it's not as if we're asking for state secrets. All we've asked for during the course of producing this investigation is we've, we've asked for payment records and we feel that we're entitled to them because we are members of the public. We want to know what these hospitals are spending money on and who they're paying. And this has been a battle that's been ongoing for months and they have steadfastly refused to divulge this information, which is firmly within the public interest. It's public money dispensed by public servants from public hospitals. And yet we get met with the Chinese wall when it comes to asking for information. We've been forced to submit PIA applications, which are not only automatically refused, Department of Health leadership cannot even deign to acknowledge receipt of these PIA applications. So that tells us everything we need to know about transparency within that department. And the current MEC 
and the premier of the province need to take accountability for that because they seem to think we live in Soviet Russia where the affairs of the state are the affairs of the state. That is not so. In this constitutional democracy, the public is entitled to understand how money is spent and that it simply doesn't happen. That's a very important point. This is public information because we as the public fund uh, healthcare and transport and everything else that this government gets so wrong. I want to know if you or your team has received any threats. So we've not received any direct threats, although we have received um, quite concerning warnings from many people who are close to this. And it's something that we've had to consider as we as we've embarked on this story. But our point of departure is that staying silent would be too costly. And we'll continue to expose wrongdoing when we can prove it um, in the face of threats, even if they come. Thank you once again for being such upstanding citizens, such brave investigative journalists. My closing question would be, in the light of everything that you've discovered um, around the Tembisa Hospital corruption and the Gauteng Health Department's dealings and shenanigans, do you have any hope that something like the NHI can be corrupt-free? Well, I think it's an important question. And when you consider what happened at Timbisa Hospital, you know, this is public procurement 101. And what they were able to do at that facility was completely bypass all of the checks and balances that prevented fraud. And they did so with such devastating effect that for months and even years in some instances, they were able to extract millions upon millions upon millions from these hospitals. And it's certainly disconcerting knowing that the NHI is around the corner and we will again rely on these public procurement prescripts that can so easily be bypassed. Jeff Wicks, uh, when will we see this uh, docu about Babita Diokaran and where can it be watched? So the documentary will be available free to News24 subscribers live on our website on Friday morning. Okay, so if you want to watch this News24 documentary on Babita Diokaran and also just get a behind-the-scenes look at what a family goes through after a whistleblower has been assassinated, please go to News24, subscribe and watch this documentary. And from Alta side to Jeff Wicks and the whole of the News24 investigative team, that uncovered so much. Thank you very much and Godspeed with your work. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel to stay updated. If you appreciate Alta's efforts, visit alta.co.za to donate.